Hello. Hi. I'm just, um, why don't you, um, I know we've already said hi, but like, uh, <laughs> tickle three people next to you if you can, if it's appropriate. If it's appropriate. <laughs> oh, yeah, just, I think you're okay. Oh, that might be okay. Finish tickling. You finish. Well done. <laughs> well, it's really cool to be here this evening. I can't really see. I think it's the lighting. I can. I can't. Can barely see your faces. But I'm just going to trust that you're smiling. You're smiling. You're happy to be here this evening. If you fall asleep, then it's okay. You'll be fine. But if you I'm really, really excited to be this, this evening talking about something I absolutely love uh, with all my heart, that is the Bible. So if you have a Bible with you, I want you to take it out. Or if you have a Bible reading device, I'd like you to take it out um, and just hold it. Don't open it just yet, but just take it out and hold it. Now, um, just... Put it in front of you, and just for a moment, I just want you to be really, really honest. I'm not going to ask you to share this with three people around you, don't worry. Um, but just be really, really honest between yourself, your Bible, and the Holy Spirit. Just reflect a little bit about how you feel about it. So don't look at me, look at the Bible, or the Bible reading device. Just think a bit about your relationship with it. Do you pick it up all the time? Would you be absolutely devastated if you lost it? If you are holding your phone right now, think about the Bible on the phone, <laughs> not the phone. Do you love it sometimes? Maybe sometimes you hate it. Do you really get it sometimes? Sometimes you just don't get it. Is it a bit dusty or is it really used and worn? How do you feel about it? Just honestly, when you pick it up, does it fill you with excitement and joy or does it fill you with a bit of dread? Just think about that for a moment. And now that you've thought about that, I just want you to think for a few seconds about how you feel about God. How do you feel about Jesus, who we've been singing about this evening, this wonderful, wonderful man who gave everything for us? How do you feel if he was sat right in front of you right now? Does it fill you with joy and excitement, or does it fill you with dread? Sometimes you love him, maybe sometimes you don't. Maybe you're really excited, or maybe you're really confused. But just think about for a moment what your relationship with him is like and how he makes you feel. I just want you to be really honest with yourself. This is how we grow. And now I want you to think about how does how you feel about your Bible compare to how you feel about Jesus? Was it the same? 
Were there vast differences or was the gap quite narrow? How does how we feel about our Bible compare to how we feel about Jesus? Now let's open the Bible and just sit with that for a moment. But let's turn to the book of Psalms 119 and verse 161. And we're going to read a little bit about a man who was called a man after God's own heart. How he felt about his Bible or the equivalent in his time, the law of God, the written word of God that he had accessible to him. Psalm 119, verse 161. David says, Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil or treasure. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. Now, how did that compare to anyone? And it was like, yep, I'm right up there with David. I really love the word of God. Or maybe it was, I'm not quite there yet. Don't worry, David has his own special category in the Bible. That's what I say to make myself feel better anyway. But David's pretty amazing. But you see, for David, his passion and his excitement and his devotion um, to the word of God was so incredible. Sometimes when I read this psalm, I have to remind myself that he was talking about the word of God. And for David, there's no distinction or separation between how much he loved the God of the universe, the one he knew and loved who gave him breath, and how much he loved his word. For David, to love God was to love what he said. There was no difference for him. And this is why he could express what he expressed. I stand in awe of your words. People are trying to kill me, but I stand in awe of what you say. That's how much I love your word. I love your word because I love you. And because I love you, I love your word. There was no distinction for him because in the word of God, David saw a true reflection of the God he loved. In the word of God is where God revealed his nature, revealed his character. He didn't leave David guessing. He didn't leave us guessing that he was a good God. He didn't leave us guessing that he wants to redeem us and save us. He didn't leave us guessing that he's faithful to the end. He didn't leave us guessing that he will always provide for us. He's always chasing after us and his love for us is never ending. He didn't leave us guessing. We have it written down right here, free of charge. Always you have to buy the Bible from the shop, but it's free. But he didn't leave us guessing. And so for David, when he opened this, when he read it, he saw a true reflection. It was like holding a mirror up to the face of God and saying, I see you and I worship you seven times a day because of what I see you to be in your word. I worship you because of who you've revealed yourself to be in your word. And therefore, there is no disconnect 
between how I feel about you and how I feel about your word. I don't know about you, that for me is a challenge. And it challenges my, my view on scripture and my understanding of what it really is. And the reasons, a few will go through, but one of the reasons I think David really, really grappled this was because he really understood what this was. He really understood what the word of God was. And sometimes I think we can get a bit familiar or familiar to the sense that we've, we've, we've kind of even become unfamiliar because we now no longer really know what it is. Maybe you've, maybe you've grown up with the Bible your whole life. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you just picked up because it's what you do and you come to church and I don't know. But I think sometimes we can become a bit all too familiar and forget just how precious this is and forget what it really is. And David fully, fully understood what God's word was. He fully understood that it was the revelation of Jesus. He fully understood it was the revelation and reflection of this almighty, all-wonderful, powerful God who we couldn't physically see with our eyes, but who has put himself on display in what we can read about him. A true reflection of who God is and not just what we make God out to be. It's so amazing, so many times in scripture when you read of great prayers that kings made or the Solomon dedicating the temple and Jehoshaphat praying, when they began to pray in the assembly, they started off by recounting everything God already did. I just think that's wonderful. So they tell the story, oh great God who created the heavens and the earth and who did this and redeemed his people and who split the Red Sea and da 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 and then they make their petition. And they recount what they've heard and what they've read from, from centuries and their fathers before, before, before. Because they're seeing who he is and they address him by who he's revealed himself to be. And that builds up faith in them to continue to pursue him. Because they see him for who he is in his word. I think David also understood how precious it was and, and therefore affected how he approached it. You know what you believe to be true about something will affect how you approach it. I could be walking down the street and see, I don't know, a football signed by Messi, but I don't really know it's signed by Messi, so I pick it up and I put it in the bin. And I approach it that way because to me there's no value. Maybe there is. Do you, you look like Messi? But anyway. Um, <laughs> there was a story of this family who... I went to a neighbor's garage sale and they bought this little bowl for just $3 it was and they put it in their house and then years later it got like evaluated and it was this antique piece of Chinese crockery and it ended up being sold at auction for $2.2 million. Now if I had seen that bowl on a regular day and I thought it was worth $3, I would have approached it very differently if I understood it was worth $2.2 million. So how I see something and the truth of what I believe, because whether or not I believed it, that ball was worth $2.2 million. My belief about it didn't change what it was, but I had to change my position and how I approached it. That's where the, dif the distinction came. And so when I come to the word of God and I believe that it's more than just words on a page and it's more than just a book of stories, but I believe that it's the power of God and it's the truth of who he is. When I look at the Bible and I know that the sum of his word is truth, not a truth or one of many truths, but the truth, then I approach it differently because I know that whatever it says will bring me life. 
whatever it says will change my situation. When I believe that, when I truly, truly believe that the word of God is powerful, is sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing bone from marrow and the thoughts and intentions of my heart, when I believe that as I pick it up, that's what happened, that these words come alive, I will approach it differently because I believe the truth about what it is. David says, turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. David understood that looking into the word of God gave him life. And there, what's that saying? I don't know if it's still in. This is giving me so much life right now. Do people still say that? Okay, maybe they don't. Maybe that was like a while ago. People were saying it. This is giving me so much life right now. And like, I'm out having drinks. This is giving me so much life right now. And I'm like, that's cool, but actually, this is giving me so much life right now. <laughs> this will always really give me life whenever I pick it up. And when I believe that truth, I will experience that truth. When I think of the Bible as, as a chore or just something I need to have to do, of course, I'm going to begin to detest it almost. I'm going to begin to distance myself from it. But that's because I'm believing a lie. And oh, that the enemy would have us believe a lie about the power that's in this if we would dare to just pick up and read it and have the words jump off the page and absolutely change us. David says um, in the psalm, he rejoices over the word of God like one who finds great treasure. And it says in Proverbs 25 verse 2 that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to discover it. And you know, it's our glory to go through the scriptures and discover new things about God. Have you ever had that feeling when you read a scripture that maybe you've read before or you haven't and you're like, oh my gosh, that just spoke to me. Oh my gosh, that's so wonderful. Oh my gosh, I just, I just caught something that you're fresh. I got an, oh, how amazing that feeling is. Maybe you just haven't had that for a while. Maybe that stopped happening and you began to believe that maybe that was it and there's not anything more that oh, I've read, you know, the Beatitudes six times and nothing's stuck out to me and so you've like moved on and maybe you think that's it. That's never it, because the word of God is alive. And when we believe it to be alive, we will go looking for the treasure that is in the scripture. And we rejoice when we find it, when the Holy Spirit whispers those nuggets to us and the things we never saw before. And that is so exciting. That gives us life. And that is what is available to each and every single one of us, because he has given us of his Holy Spirit. And so we can understand everything that he has written to us in his word. David understood that the scripture was life. He understood how precious and how valuable it was. And therefore, he approached it differently. And when we believe the truth of what the word of God is, we will approach it differently. Many times we, um, I don't know about you, but if I'm trying to self-reflect or evaluate, I'll sit down and I'm like, okay, how are you doing in this area, Lukundo? And, and then I'll like try, you know, oh, you weren't, you weren't very nice to that person the other day. You were a bit like short-tempered with them, right? Fix it now, come on. And I'm trying to like fix myself and be a good Christian and you know, like righteousness, whatnot. But actually, when I believe that, that, that scripture is able to, to divide and discern the thoughts and intents of my heart, then every time I pick it up, all I'm saying is I'm giving room for the Holy Spirit to do that work in me for me and not for me to do it myself. And when I believe that, even when I'm about to fall asleep and I'm like kind of half wide open, I can still pick up my Bible instead of my phone because I know that every time I open it up, there's an opportunity for me to change. 
there's an opportunity for me to encounter the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in what he says. I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes, I won't pick up because I think I'm not quite awake, awake enough to read it and it's disrespectful to God. I don't think he thinks that <laughs> at all. I think he'd much rather I pick it up anyway. And for me, a lot of times, just out of habit, I don't always know when I've picked up my phone. Somehow it's just in my hand and I'm scrolling through something. I'm like, what was I doing? Like, how did you get here? And so for me, picking up my Bible, sometimes it's just to develop a habit so my left hand or my right hand can get used to doing this before I go to bed rather than picking up my phone. And it's just habit. And there is nothing wrong with reading your Bible on your phone. There is absolutely nothing wrong. I personally just find it helpful because I can get distracted when I'm on my phone. And I, I pers that's just personal. But even just habit of, of reaching out. And so it becomes... It becomes comfortable in my hands, and it becomes one with my hand. It becomes an extension of who I am, and not just something I pick up every now and again. Because it's the wonderful, wonderful story of the love that God has for us. It's the wonderful story of an all-powerful God who made absolutely everything, who gave his son to die for our sins so that we could be restored into relationship with him, so that we could have the life that he'd always created us to have. If you don't know that today and you haven't experienced this, maybe you're wondering what on earth is she on about, you can know that today because Jesus is everything. He is absolutely amazing and he will change your life if you would allow him. So do speak to somebody this evening or by the end of the evening if you want to experience that more. You will never be the same again. The third thing I think David really understood about the word of God was that to love God means to obey his commandments. You're not going to be able to obey his commandments if you don't read his commandments. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6 and from verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Basically, surround yourself with my word. And the Hebrew word here for hear, hear, O Israel, is Shema. And in the Hebrew language, they don't have a separate word for obey. There is no separate word for obey because to Shema means to listen and obey. So essentially, if you've not obeyed, it's because you've not really listened. So it's like two sides of the same coin, so interlinked that there's no need for a separate word. And so God is saying, listen to me. If you're really listening, you will obey. Listen to what I say, love me with everything and keep my commandments. You keep my commandments, you love me. Write them on your doorposts, um, surround them, talk with your children about them all the time. Surround yourself with what I say. I need you to, to absolutely immerse yourself in my words and love. that's how you love me when you listen and you obey to what I tell you to do. We cannot say we love him 
if we do not keep his commandments, John 14 and 15. And Paul admonishes us in Colossians 3.16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. God spoke to his people, the people of Israel. He said, love me with everything. Listen to what I say. Immerse yourself in my words and obey them. Love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, your neighbors, you love yourself. That hasn't changed. And he still says to us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. No distinction between the God we love and his word and what he says. It's almost like saying to God, I love you, just keep your mouth shut. That makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. But no distinction between the God we love and what he says. And if we really, really love him, it means we listen and we do what he says, which means we have to read what he says. And so practically, I mean, at this point, it may be like, okay, cool, I'm excited. I know the truth about what God's word is. It reveals him. That's really awesome. I want to love him with everything. So I'm going to read his word. I'm going to start a new Bible plan. I love those Bible plans that let you refresh as though like today is like you go back and it's like it erases that you missed however many days and it's like great, it's no condemnation. Um, But you know, we're ready. And so we start the Bible plan and then maybe we miss a day or two. I'm currently on a plan. I was recommended by Tony. Um, and you read six chapters a day and you will get through the whole Bible in nine months. That's even taking a day off in the week, so they give you Sundays off. But if you miss two days, you miss like you have like 12 chapters to catch up on. It's pretty intense, but it takes me half an hour to read six chapters, which is like one TV show. It's nothing. Like when you think about it, it's nothing. We make, we make such a big deal of it sometimes. But you know, so we're excited and I've missed like you know, a few days, I've got like 12 chapters to catch up on, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy, and then I'm like, oh, but thank you, Jesus, because there's no condemnation, and there is grace, and I'm living under grace, and I'm not living under the law, so everything is fine, and I'll just, you know, and this is true, the grace of God is available for us, but sometimes, let's be honest with ourselves, we diminish the grace of God, which is, which is, which is the power of God that enables us to live a life of godliness, And we diminish it to something that covers up when we don't live up to the fullness of what God has got for us. So it's almost like, okay, God, I know you've got this amazing thing planned for me and you want me to know you more and see your face, but I'm not quite living up to it, so I'm just going to use your grace as a cover-up. Rather than saying, actually, your grace enables me to say no to ungodliness and yes to righteousness. So I'm going to allow your grace to enable me to do and not just to cover up when I don't do. Jesus didn't die for us just to cover up when we don't quite get it right. He died so we can have life and life in abundance. And oh, that the enemy would try and rob us of that by by allowing us to diminish what the grace of God is, by allowing us to stay comfortable in this little cocoon of ours. And sometimes even you may have said this. I've said this before. I hold my hands up. I don't want to read my Bible every day because I don't want to be religious. And I don't want to be religious about it. And I don't have to because, you know, I'm not like, I don't know, we've moved on, we're charismatic, whatever. Um, But don't want to be religious about it. I know there's a difference, and I think sometimes we mistake being religious for discipline. So because we don't want to be disciplined, we've, (laughs) we've masked it as not being religious. But they are very different things. Being religious is doing stuff. When Jesus... 
Jesus condemned and, and was not happy with the Pharisees for being religious. It's like, because you were just doing stuff for show. You were doing stuff for an outward appearance to make everyone think you're all wonderful and great and glorious. And that is being religious. All religious behavior is just doing something over and over again without meaning. And of course, we don't want to just read the Bible over and over again without meaning. But if we truly, truly believe that every time we open it, even if it doesn't fully sink in, that the Holy Spirit is able to bring to remembrance the things that we've seen, then every time I open those pages, it's not a waste, whether I was fully focusing or not. Religious being stuff, just for the sake of being religious, is is for outward appearances. Discipline changes me on the inside. They're two very different things, and we must not allow ourselves to be robbed of all that God has for us by refusing to allow ourselves to be disciplined. Jesus knew what it meant to be disciplined. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. Jesus knew what it meant to be a son. He knew what it meant to be disciplined. He knew what the voice of his father sounded like and didn't always sound like, I don't know, nice and cushy. But in Hebrews chapter 2 from verse 3, it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which we have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we might share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline is not bad. It's not nice. doesn't feel nice, but it's not bad. I don't know about you, but have you ever tried to become good at running or good at playing an instrument without the discipline to practice? You're not going to reap the fruit without going through the discipline of sticking through it. 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8 says, train yourselves in godliness. Physical training is of some benefit, but godliness even more. And it reaps benefits from this life and in this life and the one to come. So train yourself. Another word for that is to discipline yourself in godliness. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a necessity of our discipleship and walk with God. To be able to, to say, actually, I'm not going to read my Bible just because I know I have to uh, or just because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be, you know. But actually, I'm going to read my Bible because I want to discipline myself to get into a good habit. That's not bad. Now, sometimes as charismatic Christians, we don't think that's spirit-led enough. Or we're like, I need to feel like it or I need to kind of, you know. But 30 minutes every day of simply saying, I'm going to 
face this book. I'm going to face this and I'm going to look at it and I'm going to read it. And I'm going to choose to discipline myself. I'm going to choose not to allow myself to be robbed of all that God has got for me by excusing myself all the time. If you have an exam coming up, we discipline ourselves, don't we? Because we know the rewards on the other side. And what more, how much more for something that reaps rewards in this life and the one to come, that we would know him more, that we would see his face. It's not a bad thing, but it's an invitation. An invitation to encounter him in his word. An invitation to be changed by him. But it is an invitation to do something practical. Discipline is one of those things that kind of goes against the grain because it goes against our feelings. But we are not those who are called to live in our feelings. We are called to walk by faith. And we are called to maturity. We are called to grow up in him, in Christ Jesus, together as one. And we are called to be those who are rooted and grounded in truth, in his love and in his truth. And we will do that as we give ourselves and say, actually, by your grace, oh God, help me to be focused. Help me to discipline myself, to look intently into your word and be changed. Help me not to excuse myself, but to allow your grace to help me. And of course, there is no condemnation. But the other side is we just live in lukewarmness forever, and that's not great. He doesn't really like that. Isaiah 53. No, 55, sorry. 55 from verse 1 says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And why labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, Shema, listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Matthew 4, 4 says, in the message paraphrase, Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy, which we read before, it takes more than bread to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. That's how we stay alive. Um, I don't really have to discipline myself to eat. I get hungry very often, every four hours. <laughs> My husband's very different. He can go for ages without eating. But just as much as we need food all the time and we have to discipline ourselves to actually prepare it or go broke ordering takeout all the time, but it takes a steady stream of God's word to stay alive. It takes a steady stream of hearing from him to keep going and to live life in the fullness, to be changed and to experience him and to encounter him and to allow him to reveal himself to us in scripture so that we can worship him for who he has said he is and not who we've made him to be. And that's gonna require some effort on our part, but so much more rewarding. And the more you do it, the more you want to do it, the more you do do it. And that's the truth. And so there is grace, there is strength by his spirit for us to do this. And we mustn't listen to the lie of the enemy that says, as soon as you walk out that door, great sermon, but you know you're just not going to live up to it. That's the voice of the enemy. Every time we slip up, we just keep going. We just keep doing it. We keep reading because every single time we open those pages, there is an opportunity for encounter with Jesus. So let's stand together as we make these declarations of truth just so you can say them as you go out and you don't listen to the lie of the enemy. But we're going to say these together um, 
just to close and believe that the Holy Spirit will, will settle this in our hearts so that we become a people who are mature. We become a people who really give ourselves to knowing him more and more. So I'll count us in. Three, two, one, go. I am his sheep, so I can hear his voice speaking to me through his word. The word of God has a power to change me. It is alive and active. As I read the word of God, it lights up the path ahead of me. It shows me how to live and what steps to take. The word of God exposes darkness and brings things into the light. Jesus is the word of God. We love Jesus. Therefore, we love the word. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, so Holy Spirit, we do just invite you to come and water these declarations that we've made, to water the word that you've planted and sown into our hearts. God, I really do believe, Holy Spirit, that you know exactly where we're at in this journey and that you have spoken to us and will continue to speak to us about what we need to do to position ourselves to seek your face more. We're always crying out that we want more of you and we thank you for the opportunity that we get to have more of you right in front of us. So help us to take that opportunity, Jesus, to read your word, to study your word together in community and fellowship with one another and to allow you to change us, to become more and more like you. For we do become what we behold. So help us to behold your word. Help us, Jesus, by your spirit. Give us grace, Jesus, to say no to ungodliness and yes to godliness, to train and discipline ourselves in the way of the Lord so that we may produce fruit you may produce fruit in us, oh God, that we become more and more like you. We say yes and amen to your grace that empowers us and enables us, and we refuse to be victims of our situations, circumstances, or mindsets. We thank you that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, so we can do this, and we will do this, because this is your will, your perfect will for us. So we thank you, Holy Spirit. We bless you, and we love you. You are so amazing. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.